Hey, welcome to the Heidi Rue Show podcast. I'm Heidi, obviously, and the show isn't really about me. Actually, I am talking to female leaders, creators, and innovators, and my hope is that them sharing their story inspires you and helps us all learn a little something. Today is the second half of my interview with an amazing woman, Monica Kaufman Pearson. And I say Kaufman because I grew up hearing her as Monica Kaufman. She was the first minority female anchor in Atlanta for the evening news. Big, huge deal. And she held that position for 37 years, which if you know anything about news, that in and of itself to be in one position for 37 years in a major market is just unheard of. She's also won over 33 Emmys, and she shares how she got to that position, um, who has really inspired her and given her that courage and that boldness and the tenacity to get through anything. That happened in the first uh, part of the interview. In fact, she shares a story about how she got to be in Atlanta, and it was between her and two other women for that spot. One of the other women, Oprah. Yeah. You got to hear that story. But in the second half of my talk with Monica, she shares her feelings and her opinions on the racial tensions in Atlanta today. And, you know, she's seen those racial tensions for years. So it's really interesting to hear her perspective. She also shares what got her through and survived cancer twice. Let's hear from Monica. You mentioned how Atlanta has changed so much over the years since you've been here. Oh, yes. Obviously. What do you think is is a key right now in the moment that we're living in to still healing some of that racial divide? I actually think the racial divide has gotten worse because of the things that are happening in politics, starting mm-hmm. with the White House on down. Um, some people say, he's not my president. Well, yes, he is your president. He is president of the United States of America, mm-hmm. and I will give him the res- respect as the president. I yeah. may not agree with what he does, right. but in the same vein, he is still the president, and I will treat him respectfully. However, I think some of his comments have led people to no longer have a filter. They feel mm-hmm. it's okay to say anything and everything to people without thinking about the repercussions. Yeah. And I feel more racial divide now than I have felt in years. This almost feels to me the way it did when the schools were segregated, when Mm. black people and white people were not living in the same neighborhoods and going to the same schools. It is it is frightening for me, who's lived through segregation, to see how people no longer value. Well, my mother said it best. Um, She died the year Mr. Trump was elected. And she said to me, Where's the civility? Hmm. Where's the civility? And and that's the question I have to raise. Where's mm-hmm. the civility? We no longer are politically correct or incorrect. <laughs> We're just rude and crude. Yes. And yes. that bothers me because yeah. I see it now not only in white people, but also in black people. Mm. And I see it in young people more than anything. And that's the biggest difference. That's scary. Uh, when I was growing up, you know, you knew how to walk that line between black and white and get what you wanted. Mm. And you knew when to speak up and when to hold back. And you knew how to speak up in a way that didn't make you look bad. 
now folks just don't care. (laughs) (laughs) They just, whatever comes up, comes out. Yeah. And that can be so detrimental. But, you know, everybody's got to go their own path. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to criticize them. I'm just going to say, if that's the way you live, you have to suffer the consequences of what you say and do. Yes. And that's where I am. Yes. So I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to say, all right. You live that way, you have to suffer the consequences. I live my way, I have to suffer the consequences. If you come to me for advice, I will give you a perspective from my point of view, but your perspective may be different because Mm -hmm. of the way you were raised and how and where you were raised. And I think that's a problem sometimes with people in my age group. We think, Hmm. you all ought to be doing it this way. (laughs) No, they were raised differently. They were raised differently, sure. And with different opportunities. Mm. And so they don't know what it's like to be denied the ability to try on clothes in a store. They haven't been measured with Mm. a, a ruler to see, you know, how big your feet are because you can't try on the shoes. They don't know what it's like um, not being able to use a water fountain because it says white only, mm. even though the spigot's coming out from the same pipe, you know, it's it, which was insane. They don't know that. Many of them have grown up in an integrated school system, mm-hmm. or if they haven't grown up in an integrated school, they have been exposed to white culture, and therefore they know what they should get. Mm. And it's so interesting because there's this, sometimes there's entitlement on both black and white kids. Mm. They feel like they're entitled to things, whereas my generation is, you have to work for it. Right. And that goes back to these darn people giving every kid on the sports team an award. (laughs) I can understand giving everybody an award for being present, but those people who do exceptionally well should Should receive an award for doing exceptionally well. Yes, yes. Yes. And then the other thing is helicopter parents. My mother would never show up at a job <laughs> to, to talk about what you should pay me. My mother would have never called a boss to talk about how you're being treated. And I never did that with Claire. It's yes. like, you know, that's not my business. Right, right. Pull pull up your big girl pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of your daughter, uh, she's adopted, which yes. I think is so wonderful. She was Beautiful. six months old. I was oh unable gosh. to have children. Mm-hmm. And um, it, through because of endometriosis, mm-hmm. uh, and anybody who wants to know what that is, you can look it up on Google. Yeah. But, uh, and, it, it, you know, it's like it just didn't happen. Yeah. That is awesome. How did that change you when when she came into your life? Oh, uh, I became less selfish. I'm an only child. Mm. So I've always been the center of my mother's world. Yeah. And now Claire's the center of mine. Mm. Um, and I would also say it brought about how I looked at the news differently as a parent. So it raised questions that had not been raised before because I didn't have those parental experiences. Mm. Like what kind of questions? Well, for instance... Um, when you look at sending your child to school, how you select a school where you not only look at what the test scores are, but I also look at the diversity in the school and mm-hmm. not just in the student body, but the teaching right. part. The Who are the teachers? Who are the people who clean the schools? Mm-hmm. Who are the people who are in the library? Who are the people who do the sports teams? The, the personnel, how diverse mm-hmm. is that? Because it's one thing to have a diverse student body, but if you don't have a diverse teaching staff, then that's a whole nother issue. Mm-hmm. So anyway... I wouldn't have thought of that as a single woman 
with no children, mm-hmm. you know, kids were not really a part. I would call friends and ask them, what question would you ask of this person? But when you are a part of something, it becomes clear. I'll give you another example. My daughter played basketball and she played soccer. Well, way back when in the 80s, the um, Georgia High School Association in all of its history, almost a hundred year history at that time, had never had a woman on its board. And what was so fascinating is that this controls all sports, all competition within the schools, from debate to cheerleading to soccer. It controls everything that's competitive in schools. There had never been a woman on the board. Wow. Well, I would have never gotten the lead on that story if it hadn't been for Claire's AAU Mm. basketball coach, Charles Huddleston, saying, this is something you ought to look into. But because Claire was involved in sports, I was in around people who were involved in sports who knew these stories that otherwise wouldn't come to would not have Mm -hmm. come to light. So that's how a child changed my life. Something else that majorly changed your life. You are a breast cancer and liver cancer survivor. What? Now, first of all, I have to tell you, I have a very different attitude about this. Okay. And some people think I'm a little heartless and sometimes cruel. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't mean to be. When people tell me, you know, they've been diagnosed, I am very sympathetic to them. But I never cried over it. I never got upset over it. It was not something that made me go, oh, woe is me. But then again, that comes from my mother. Because my mother always said to me, nobody came to stay. I mean, and that's reality, whether you like it or not. Yes. Nobody came yeah. to stay yeah. and you're going to go sooner right. or later. Right. But then I always see the body like a car. When it breaks down, you fix it. Mm-hmm. And then if it can't be fixed, you trade it in and get another one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the reality was uh, I caught my breast cancer very early because I'm very anal about going for my regular physicals. It was found in a, in a mammogram. Actually, they were just um, calcium deposits, which could or could not be right. breast cancer. But luckily, I had a very proactive doctor who said, well, let's just go on and do a biopsy. Found out it was breast cancer. It was caught early, so I didn't have to do chemo. I didn't have to do any of that. I just have a tiny little one-inch scar on the side of my left breast. But what I learned from it by doing a story on it afterwards, a lot of people would never have gone to get that exam if I hadn't had breast cancer. Because it was Mm -hmm. like, well, if it can happen to her, it can happen to me. I had to be willing to talk about it, and I was. Because to me, it was not something to go, oh, this is awful, I'm going to die. It was a case of, okay, why did I get this and what am I supposed to do with it? Mm. And it was the same thing with the liver cancers. The first time I have missed an annual exam in my life. I went back to uh, the University of Georgia at the age of 65 to get my master's degree. And um, I missed my checkup, missed my yearly checkup. I didn't go back to the doctor until after I graduated. At the age of 67, magna cum laude, thank you. (laughs) Which shows you can't teach an old dog no trick. (laughs) But uh, I finally went in September to get my exam. And very good uh, female African-American internist. Uh, She was something else, Dr. Rio Dickens. And she said, I'm not liking what I'm seeing on this blood test. We're going to do some more blood tests. Mm -hmm. And she was very detailed. Whereas sometimes, you know, come back in six months. She was like, no, I I, I don't know. She says, my intuition, but we're going to do it anyway. 
And that's when we discovered that uh, I had developed liver cancer. And it's so funny because uh, the the reaction of most people to it usually is when they hear I've had liver cancer. I didn't know you drank that much. Well, I didn't. It just happened. Mm -hmm. It could have been fatty liver disease. I don't know where it came from. But um, Dr. Kuby at Emory, who worked with Dr. Dixon, they said, well, let's get in here and let's do it. They took out 75% of my liver. It's now grown back full force. And that was three years ago. Wow. The liver is the only organ that regenerates other than skin. Yeah, but the I had only no major idea. Yeah, it regenerates. Wow. So it, it was, uh, how can I say, it was eye-opening because then I was able to educate people about liver cancer. Yeah. And that it can come from hepatitis. It can come from fatty liver disease. Yes, it can come from drinking too much. It can come from lots of things. Yeah. It was not in any way related to breast cancer. It was just my time in the hole again. Mm-hmm. And my reaction to it was take it out, get it fixed, and let's keep going. And your car keeps going. And the it car is- And sooner or later, the car is going to just say, I can't be repaired anymore. And then like Hattie, you say, none of us came to stay. And then I'm going to Morehouse School of Medicine. And the reason I do that is because they need cadavers. They need real Mm. human bodies. My mother, when she passed, went there. I just got her back last year. (laughs) We're getting ready to Mm. earn her. And when I pass, that's where I'm going. And then about two years later, they'll return my ashes and then they'll put them in earnment. You know, people get so tied to this facade mm-hmm. and it's just that. Right. And you might as well make good use of it. Yeah. If, if you can be an organ donor, do it and, mm-hmm. and get that on your license. In my case, because I've had two cancers, I can't be an organ donor. I can't mm-hmm. even give blood anymore, but I can give my body for research. Yeah. And that's important because students need to work on real bodies. Mm. Your <laughs> life is so generous. Like even even in your passing, you're thinking about giving to others. How do you live this life that's so generous, that is such a life? I mean, you really... It, Monica, I want to be you. Like, oh. I want my life to be something that's similar to yours. But it you're is doing such a that. legacy. You're doing that because even with your podcast, you're interviewing people to pass on information. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to find their own lane. And my lane is kind of this entertainment, uh, engage people, uh, give when you can lane, you know, mm-hmm. because I was given so much as a child, not only by my mother, but like people who gave money very generously to United Way Mm. so that I could be a Girl Scout. Yeah. Um, My mother used to shop at Salvation Army and Goodwill, which, you know, Goodwill is is a United Way agency. And I think of when I got cancer, I was able to get lots of information, not only from Susan G. Komen, but also from the American Cancer Society, which is part of United Way. So, you know, you you. You have to give back. I mean, my mother always said, and you've heard this millions of times, and it's not original with her, but to whom much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. So I've also found by giving, you get more back. Yes. You really do. You don't even have to ask for it. It just pops up. So, so true. you have to be giving. Yeah. I mean, yeah. none of this is here for me alone. Mm-hmm. It's to share with others. Now, you have mm-hmm. to be careful who you share it with. Right. And I really hold groups accountable for those mm-hmm. groups that I give money to. Um, because it's important to me that they, in turn, help people in a way right. that 
moves them to another level, another Hattieism. It's important for us to reach back, pull up, and push forward. Mm. And that's so true. So few people these days are willing to go back to that old neighborhood where they came from or or give to an organization that helps people in their neighborhood. There are people who do give, but everyone seems to feel like they've got to make thousands and thousands of dollars to give. My mother never made more than $24,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And that was when she worked for the post office. But she always gave her 10 percent tithe to the church and she always gave to goodwill. She gave stuff back after she bought from me. She gave (laughs) she would read to people, older people in the neighborhood. She volunteered in her church. You don't have to have a lot of money. All you have Mm -hmm. to have is a giving heart. Yes, it's so true. So true. And gifts come in all forms. Yes. By a smile, mm-hmm. a, a kind word to a stranger that's mm-hmm. giving. Or even being in a grocery line and somebody's fretting because they don't have a penny. Give them the penny. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Monica, one of the things that is kind of the saying for the podcast is don't stop, get it, get it. Mm-hmm. You have a water bottle that has that now on it um, as your gift. But what do you still hope to accomplish? Because you are somebody that does not stop. <laughs> you get you live out that term. <laughs> I mean, is it a book with Hattieisms or that wh- is the one thing that people have been encouraging me to do for years, and I just haven't had time to do it because yeah. I've been doing this radio show on Kiss one hundred four point one, and I've been doing uh, on Georgia Public Broadcasting my my baby. I love the show. It is. <laughs> it's the first time in my life, I can say exactly what's on my mm. mind. Okay. A seat at the table. You know, it's <laughs> three it. black women, three different generations talking about what it's like to be an African-American woman mm. in these days. And it's just, you know, and we are, we don't agree a lot because we are from three generations, sure. but we learn from each other mm. and we respect each other. So because I've been doing all of that, and then I started doing commercials, which I could never do when I was doing the news. Right. So I'm now looking at, it's so interesting you would ask that question. How can I cut down what I'm doing to really take time and do this book on Hattie? Because Mm -hmm. the reality is I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning. (laughs) I'll be 72 this year. So it's real important for me to get my little hiney in place and write this book on Hattie. So I've started in a way to kind of keep it in the front of my mind by doing a little thing on social media called a Monica moment where Mm -hmm. I end up talking about a Hattieism in it. So that is to, to make me want to do this. So I've got to, I've got two people. I've got to sit down and interview Um, my cousin, Barbara, who's in Louisville and she's 78. So she remembers my mother as a young woman. Mm. And then my mother's oldest friend, Miss Dorothy, who is 90, my mother was 93 when she passed three years ago, who remembers my mother as a young Mm. woman. So I've got to get, and that's one of the things I'm going to do this summer, is go spend a week in Louisville talking to them, because I need some perspective. I've got pictures of mother from then, but I need to talk to some people who remember her. And there aren't many left. I should have done this 30 years ago. I was looking at her wedding pictures the other day. My mother, when she got married, um, I was born in 47. She got married in 45. Yeah, 40, yeah, 45, because 
there was this big thing like, when is she ever going to get pregnant? She's taking forever to get pregnant. And, <laughs> and it was uh, only two years. Yeah, it was oh my only gosh. two years. But, you know, <laughs> right. back then they had them sure. right out of the shoot. And <laughs> I was looking at her wedding pictures, and there were all these white people at the wedding. And I'm like, you didn't see that back then. Yeah. And her wedding was in the paper in the Louisville Times. Well, it's because her cousin Lee, who paid for her wedding, was the driver for the president of Ashland Oil, so I'm told. So I need to do the research wow, yeah. on all that. But I've got these pictures of all these women in their fur coats with the you know shoulder pads out to here uh-huh. and their fancy hats at this African-American wedding where everybody in the wedding is black, but all these white people are at the wedding. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was. Yes. And to see her as a gorgeous bride mm. and, you know, and my dad, they were such a dapper cu- cu- uh, couple. But also to learn from my mother before she died that none of my dad's family came to the wedding because mm. they thought she was too uppity. Because she was the wow. first in her family to graduate from high school. And in terms of both families, she was the first to graduate from high school. Wow. Yeah. I'm the first person um, on both sides of my family to graduate from college. That's amazing. I know. But, you know, you look back and you think about what my mother, you know, mm. the life she lived going from with her mother, who never had more than a third grade education, who came from an intact family with a mother and father who were married until the day they died. The Langfords, then Rosie, who my middle name is Rosie. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosie was their only child and was spoiled rotten and didn't finish school. She was allowed to, was known for being bow-legged and making bathtub gin and beer and selling it on <laughs> Sundays, who could play cards and carry I love on. It. And then... My mother, who graduated, the first to graduate mm-hmm. from high school, and then to have this amazing, amazing wedding, thanks to a cousin who went to work in the post office. And, you know, you look at her life. And over the years, she just kept progressing. And then once they married and had me, it was like, you know, life just I became her life. Mm-hmm. And, and I will tell you a little story. I have I, you all are so young. In the old days, they used to take your baby shoes uh-huh. and they would bronze them. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I still have my baby bronze shoe and the toe is out. It's been cut out and there's a hole in the bottom of the shoe. So I asked my mom, I said, what's this all about? Yeah. And she says, this is what led to my divorce. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you needed a new pair of shoes. And your dad said he needed a new pair of shoes more than you did. And that's when I said, it's time to go. Wow. (laughs) And that bronze shoe, I still have it. Oh, my goodness. I want to know more about Hattie. Hattie was Please, please write that book. I've got to do it. Please write that book, Monica. Because she had wonderful sayings. Oh, I love it. And she raised such a wonderful, wonderful woman. Thank you so much for sharing today your story and your life. And um, we just look forward to continuing on with your journey. Well, thanks for having me. And these snacks are so Um, good. (laughs) I love it. We have to give a shout out to Upbeat, who these snacks are from. It's one of my favorite places in Atlanta. Delish. Thanks for having me on. It really was fun. Thanks, Monica.